Hey folks, this is the Contextual Insurgent Podcast, and I'm your host, Aaron Smith. I'm an activist, an analyst, a writer, and a sensemaker. I'm a Republican, a former SFGOP Central Committee Delegate, where I was the Deputy Vice Chair of Communications. As California GOP endorsed State Senate candidate, where I managed to win 11% of the vote in San Francisco, which, trust me, is better than average. I've also been involved with the firearms community and Second Amendment rights. I was on the cover of Time Magazine in November of 2018 for the Guns in America issue. But I'm probably best known for my free speech activism and facing off with the hard lefties like Antifa in California and the Pacific Northwest since 2017. The general topic of this podcast series will be politics in the current culture war as seen from my unique, rather hands-on experience and knowledge. But I also intend to include a practical element focused on giving you the conceptual tools to build towards true grassroots, nonviolent political change. You may have noticed lefties usually seem to get what they want regardless of how elections go. I want to help you change that. You can also sign up for my Substack newsletter at contextualinsurgent.substack.com. I have a weekly newsletter that looks back at some of the highlighted stories of the week and gives you some feedback and analysis of what's happening. If you'd like to support my work, I have a Patreon at patreon.com backslash eesmith4. That's the number four. I also have a cash app at dollar sign eesmith4. Again, that's the number four. For the cost of a mocha frappuccino once a month, you can support my work, which is ultimately about helping you. Hey folks, it is Friday, January 29th, and this is my Contextual Insurgency podcast, The Daily Insurgency, number five. It's a little late on a Friday, and I had to do some errands and do some research on some of the things we're talking about today and really kind of put my thoughts together. So I'm going to send it out in the Substack newsletter tomorrow. I've got an interview we're trying to line up for this weekend that's going to be really interesting that should drop on Monday. Uh, That one's going to be focused on security culture and personal security. And I've got an interesting guest that's coming on and we're going to be talking about a lot of the concepts that I think are you know, very very interesting digital security and decentralization. You know, the internet, some some theoretical stuff as well as very practical hands-on action items for you to do. So I'm really excited to record that one this weekend. We're uh, two things I want to talk about today. I'm going to talk about the Ricky Vaughn meme shit poster arrest that happened Wednesday, and the Wall Street bets raid on Melvin Capital, a hedge fund, where they were buying, they bought up a bunch of GameStop stock. I'm going to talk about both of these things. I'm not going to talk about them from really a legal perspective or a financial advisor perspective because I'm neither one of those. What I want to touch on is there's some very intriguing concepts underlying both of these incidents that I've touched on some of them before and it will help me kind of illustrate some of the concepts of where I think things are going. You know, a lot of the stuff that I talked about in, if you follow my Substack newsletter at contextualinsurgent.substack.com, you, you, if you read my year interview and projections moving forward, I, I talked about some of the things about decentralization, the internet, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to touch on that when we get to it. Let's start off by talking about Ricky. Now, if you were active on Twitter or pretty much anywhere on the internet around in the lead up 2015-2016, the lead up to the election, one of the most prolific and notable shit posters or, or meme lords you could find on Twitter was someone with the handle Ricky Vaughn. He was just basically everywhere, had lots of really good punchy content. 
Well, he was arrested Monday for a meme, and it wasn't even something that was a threat. He was he was arrested for conspiracy to deprive someone of their rights because one of the memes that he had the the, the charge you may have seen the stories it they say you know white nationalist person arrested for you know interfering stealing votes or something the the headlines are pretty you know hyperbolic um what actually really happened i mean he was a shit poster lots of spicy memes and everything but what really happened was the he had a meme where they, they'll say like you know he was having people you could text your vote from home well if you look at the meme the meme shows like a the one that they charged him for was a lady sitting there like holding a Hillary sign a black lady and it's like you know state and basically it said you know vote from home on election day and then below that it said you know text Hillary to a number and the number was actually that you text was apparently a Hillary campaign number so when you text that number you would get an alert from them saying this is not an official ad you know you can go type you know type HFA to get the real updates from the campaign this is the ad that you're replying to is not valid and they said you know something like 4900 people texted that number and they're saying well those are people who thought they were voting i don't really know if that's the right interpretation maybe some people read that and thought okay I, I think i can vote by just texting hillary to this number i'm not really sure if that's a, a, a proper interpretation because he didn't actually say you can vote by texting this number i mean it's it doesn't actually say that in the meme and you know it says vote from home but then at the bottom you know, in a separate area a separate part of the meme it says text hillary so i guess you i guess some people could assume that by reading that you know that would be their interpretation but it's not explicit another thing about the meme is like it doesn't have you know all political ads have you know paid for the fec disclosure at the bottom paid for by so and so campaign you have to have the, you have to have that and it didn't have that so I think personally, you know, I, I I think it's a bullshit arrest. I think it's satire and parody and protected political speech. And he's probably, you know, fighting it. He can probably, you know, get away with it. Like, the, the interesting thing is he wasn't actually indicted by grand jury. It was uh, the DA actually brought criminal charges directly instead of going through a grand jury. Which, you know, there's been some talk that maybe they're trying to use it as leverage against him so that he'll actually start, you know, talking about other people that are maybe doing more nefarious things. That's a possible interpretation. Um, I think one thing that stands out to me is, I mean, obviously, in my opinion, it's protected political speech. I mean, people make jokes all the time. Hey, you know. You know, Republicans vote Tuesday, Democrats vote Wednesday, or the reverse. And there was other people saying the same thing. There's a, there was an an ad from like Kristen Wong, or not an ad, but a a video Kristen Wong posted that was like, "Hey, Trump supporters, you know, vote on Super Wednesday or something." So that sort of thing, you know, we're, we've all heard those jokes, we've all seen those things, we've all seen memes like that. I, I overwhelmingly believe that it is protected speech but you know again like they say the process is the punishment for this stuff 
And the thing that's really striking to me the most, of course, you know, I can talk about also today, I mean, I can compare it to other examples. Like today, Kevin Kleinsmith, the FBI attorney who was charged for lying to the federal government because he's he's the guy that modified an email. He actually went in and edited and altered an email so that they could get a FISA warrant, which is the intel the secret foreign intelligence court to surveil do surveillance on Carter Page, which is like the Trump aide during the 2016 election. Well, he got probation for that today. He pled guilty, and they gave him probation, which you know they were actually trying to send. By comparison, they were trying to send General Flynn to prison for something that he probably didn't even consciously mean to do. There's some, like even the FBI people, that's why they wanted to drop the charges, is it came out like they actually modified their notes, and like it, Kevin Flynn, they had basically threatened to charge his son unless he pledged guilty. So he took a fall for his son, and then the notes came out, and he had enough of a smoking gun to try to fight his and overturn his guilty plea but you know again i'm not really trying to point out the double standard there between all this because there's so many other people that are doing it and it's so blatantly obvious at this point there's really no need to what i really want to bring to mind with the ricky vaughn arrest and legal proceedings is something that i've mentioned before in my writing and in some of my podcasts which is the idea of Operant conditioning. Operant conditioning is the sort of thing where you're not your target is not actually the person you're charging or the person you're attacking or applying pressure to. Your target is the people that are watching. It's kind of like that French phrase where the translation means to encourage the others, where you know they would shoot someone who was misbehaving and everyone else saw it and was like, "Oh God, I don't want to do that." And this is something that Antifa does. You know, I mentioned this in, in my the book that we wrote about this. I The operant conditioning works like you pick one person that crossed some sort of line. You harass them and make their lives completely miserable. And people that, even if they get away with it, you know, and, and survive, it's just, just the fact that you put someone through the ringer leads to, you know, people restraining themselves in the future and they start to muzzle themselves self-censor and not engage in certain behaviors or certain you know just very whatever you want pretty much it's about really kind of steering the whole herd of people in a certain direction and that's really what i think the biggest thing of this is is like there probably is some pressure where they're going to try to go after some other people and they're trying to get ricky vaughn to flip but doing it this way so publicly and dragging him through the ringer really is kind of a warning and like how many times in the future you know i shared some some of the memes ricky made that were in the in the charging document hell i shared those like the you know if you remember any one meme that really got around or was the draft draft our daughters meme but they're like you know you know, shows the the women in the army, and they're like, "I'm so glad I get to go die in Syria for Hillary." It's like that sort of stuff, and it they kind of parodied the Hillary campaign. But I shared a bunch of those. I mean, they actually had like the Photoshop of uh, Taylor Swift with a MAGA hat on. I mean, there it's just really kind of insane. And 
but it's really ultimately it's 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 really is like some of these people are very petty and spiteful or a lot of them are really but that is really the most relevant concept that I've discussed for that I believe is really displayed in this incident and you know that's something we have to be aware of going forward like they we've seen how insane the people you know in DC are now what they're they're now permanently we're talking about putting the walls up and they're still keeping National Guard in DC so we're going to see a lot more wild stuff this year one important angle of this too is it needs to be arbitrary and capricious and subjective this is something we have seen like we have speech codes in this country now but they're subjective speech codes and they're retroactive it's like people are canceled for things they said 10 years ago you know and when something that was mainstream is is now out of bounds and that is one of the things where now people are in the process of okay well what i'm saying now is maybe okay but five or ten years from now what if it's not so there is a thing where that's part of that too it's like the operant conditioning is not only not doing something but people are having to project ahead of time potential futures where whatever the hell they're saying or expressing or supporting is now not acceptable and they're going to be held to account for something they did now that was totally fine you have to remember the core mechanism for this stuff working is the fact that so much of society is centralized now there's so many choke points and pressure points that people can ultimately bring to bear on other people to force compliance you know and the left has really spent a lot of time building up organizations and structures and learning and mapping things were finding those choke points this is one of the things I mentioned in my year in review is there's going to be a big push and there and there already is it's been working it's been going for a while now but like it's been turbocharged on decentralizing the internet and financial system that's going to take a while to do but you know people are seeing just what's at stake we, I talked about world leaders that are expressed a lot of alarm at you know Donald Trump being banned from Twitter because even if they hated him the fact is you know he was like the most powerful man in the world at the time as a United States president they're like whoa hold up wait a minute it's like when a country is you know like I like I've said it's like the United States our biggest you know levers of world hegemony at the moment is control of like information flow and financial system and both of those things trust is so huge because I mean they that's the key to everything and if when you're seeing wild behavior and you can't really predict what the people behind it are going to do then you're like well I think I kind of want to have infrastructure I have control over you know we've had this what really fed that is we had 30 years of Pax Americana you know this this new world order you could say um, where there was a unipolar world where America was leading it and yeah I was like it's great let's let you know the West run everything and like let's let America have all the infrastructure you know to and the military and the infrastructure of everything and now people are starting to wonder as this woke virus burns even further out of control they're starting to wonder like oh wow is this really such a good trade so yeah I, I think we're gonna see a lot more decentralization a lot of people want decentralized decentralized internet and financial stuff 
And we're going to see some, I think, some serious pushes in that in the next few years. Speaking of decentralization, that's a great segue into my next segment here. I want to talk about the Wall Street Bets Reddit subform and what happened, what is, well, what's still going on with the GameStop stock raid, basically, you could say, and Melvin Capital in the short, short um, squeeze that's happening. Quick little overview, like I am not a financial professional. A lot of this stuff is fairly arcane. I, I, I kind of understand many of the principles that are going on. I'm not going to rehash that because it's not the huge part. Essentially what happened here, though, these folks on Reddit, or actually it was a, it was a small one person in particular, and everyone else bought into his logic, but um, and it spread. Basically they figured out that GameStop was in a very the, the company GameStop its stock was in a rather interesting position that's that doesn't often happen where the stock was depressed so low it was like down to like four bucks but more importantly the short the people that were shorting it it was being shorted by hedge funds and they were also doing a lot of, there's a lot of option trading going on with it the cumulative technical position of the stock was such that a relatively small upside pressure, consistent pressure over a short period of time, would essentially cause the, the stock to spiral. Because, you know, short selling is a thing where you, you go out and you buy shares. You, you actually borrow shares from someone else, then you sell those shares in the market, and you have that money. You've got the money, but you don't have the stock. Because you sold it, but you owe someone else stock. And the reason you, a, a share of stock, and the reason you do that is you think the stock's going to go down. So if like, I buy a share of stock at 10 bucks, or if I, I'm sorry, I keep saying buy. If I borrow a share because I think it's going to go down and I'm going to short sell this stock, okay, cool. I'm going to borrow the share from someone else, turn around, sell that share for 10 bucks, and let's say I assume it's going to be 7 bucks, you know, and if it drops to 7 or $6, I'm going to buy that share at the market price and give it back and pocket the difference. Of course there's a small fee for borrowing the share, but it, it's that's pretty much how it works. However, of course if the stock goes the wrong way and like it's twelve bucks, well I don't want that. Maybe I'll hold it for a little while. But if it keeps going up, there's a certain point where the person who you've borrowed the share from wants their share back. It's like, hey, give me my fucking share. Give me my, my stock back. And you know of course there's also like stuff with margins, very technical stuff. But yeah, that's how it works. If it moves the wrong way, after a while, you're forced to buy a share. And the fact that you had to buy a share on the market to give it to someone else, that buying of a share also provides buying pressure for the stock to continue moving up. If you hear a little bumping weird sound, that's my puppy dog. She's under my desk playing. But um, I'm not an anti There's been a lot of trashing of short sellers. And I want to just take a moment to say... Short selling is not inherently bad. You know, it's one of those things that helps with the price discovery thing. But also, one thing people miss a lot, short selling does provide a certain buying pressure when a stock is dropping. Because, you know, again, if you short sell a stock, you've got to buy, a, you're going to buy the stock when it drops down at a certain point. So I'm like, hey, the... The stock is tanking. People that have short sold are going to start buying shares and turning around and covering 
their shorts and make pocketing that profit. So as the stock tanks, it you know you have that buying pressure that comes in with the shorts. Um, one thing that happened, if you, I, maybe some of you remember this, in the 2000 crash, 2008 crash, there was a lot of drama around short selling because people were like, "This stuff's crap," you know, everything, all the everyone was levered out the ass, all the you know investment banks had sold garbage paper to everyone, and folks started coming in and short selling. A ton of stocks, like ton of these really crappy mortgage lenders, and there was all these regulations. They they started passing regulations that were like, okay, you're you know they 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 essentially started banning short selling, and then like a month later, or they restricted it very heavily. And in certain stocks, they actually banned short selling. Um, and what happened was, the stock crashed because that's actually one of the things, and that triggered the whole. That's one of the things that triggered the big giant sell-off. It was coming eventually, but that was really like one of the probably the straw that broke the camel's back. And what happened there was, you know, because of that buying pressure, there was no buying pressure when the stock started tanking, and there wasn't enough buying pressure, enough you know, intrinsic buying pressure from short covering, that it just really kind of compounded it. And that's something you see a lot if you look back at like the charts and stuff for like stock market crashes. You'll see these wild swings up and down. And what's happening is that's clearing out all the short sellers, you know, because a short seller is someone who's going to buy a stock. So if the stock tanks and swings up again and it's doing this crazy gyration, you know, that's when it's going to really crash. You'll actually see like you look at the, it starts going wild and then like there's a sudden tank. And that's what's happened. It's like they've cleaned out all the shorts. Anyway, I, I get off in a, in a weird tangent there. I'm sorry about that. Anyway, short story there is short selling is not inherently bad. But what happened with GameStop was it's like these people, they ended up this hedge fund ended up getting 140% over, over short. They shorted the stock. Like they literally shorted the stock somehow for more stock than there actually was out in the market so obviously you know that's an issue because you if they they were that short then people gonna start fighting for the shares and also there was a deal where there's so many options that were sold on the stock that see when they, when people sell options like when you sell a call option the person who sells that has to go out and like buy a sh they have to buy the shares like the market makers that do that they have to go buy the shares and have it like set aside and and there's a, a ratio for that there's mathematical stuff but basically yeah it's like people that are buying if you go out and buy a call you're making someone else buy a certain amount of stock so that is the other pressure with it as well uh, so it was basically like a tinderbox the 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 whole scenario around the stock was just waiting for someone to go pitch a match in it and that's essentially what wall street bets did i mean it was everything wall street's bet did was legal i mean they're just not buying stocks and bonds that's nothing illegal about that and it's not their fault the hedge fund created a tender box and someone came along and threw a match in it i think the thing is with this you you can't really separate what's going on here from what's going on in the world and the, the state of things because that really describes a lot of it. You know, this, in my opinion, this probably would not have happened in 2018 because so much of this is driven by rage and anger, and most of it's righteous rage and anger. The thing here is there's a, a target, 
you know, Melvin Capital and, you know, hedge funds, a class of people, you know, these people that get bailed out. Um, a lot of these financial organizations get bailed out. And, like, we've had that this happen this week. It's like, the hedge fund got, like, three billion bucks from one of the securities, one of the big market makers. Uh, several of the trading apps, like Robinhood's the most notorious one. I mean, they, they're the ones who, you know, started shutting down trades and there was a huge outcry because like this is crooked as hell you're saying you know the stocks dropped they stopped allowing people to buy the stocks and they're like this is crooked as hell you're trying to to just save your your buddies and there's i i have zero doubt there was some of that involved at some level but at the same time it also comes out that like the trading apps like Robinhood, they were having to go out and borrow tons of money to cover the trades that were happening because these sorts of trades don't usually happen. See, the thing about that too is, like, the money doesn't transfer instantly. So these apps have like a couple days where the funds settle. So they're essentially using their own money to buy stocks and sell them, and waiting for the money to come in. So there was this crazy push of insane volume in very specific areas, and it just almost blew up the trading app. Like Robinhood had to borrow like a billion dollars. And I, from what I hear, they're still trying to, to put together more money this weekend. And th that just points to, as well, like how incredibly like sensitive so much of the infrastructure and the financial stuff that we have in our life, information networks. So much of this is this stuff that we deal with that under underlies our life is so incredibly fragile and centralized that these disruptions can completely unhinge things from and stop them from working. The reason I said this could only really work now is we've had a year of like lockdowns around the world, overhanded, you know, heavy-handed government destroying businesses, small businesses, destroying jobs, just being, you know, fucking everything up, all the re responses to this pandemic. While there's, you know, and, and hardly paying any, especially in America, it's like they can't seem to get anything running. Like the unemployment stuff is horrifically bad. There's so many horror stories about it. People are not getting stimulus checks. People, you know, have been put through the ringer. Meanwhile, there's, you know, trillions of dollars go overseas or to big businesses. So there's an insane amount of just, well, I can't say it's insane. I think it's totally sane. There's a completely justified amount of rage and anger out there. And that's part of it, too, is that people see a chance to get back at a specific target and group of people with a name, Melvin Capital, you know, a hedge fund, Gabe Plotkin, who's like the founder and CEO of the thing. Like People with names that you hate that are billionaires and you can like wreck their companies and, and like they've lost like $70 billion so far this year, like the, the hedge fund industry. So yeah, it's like people see a chance to get back and like, and it's not, you know, so much of the assumptions and modeling that we have in our, in our world is based upon at least a somewhat rational person, like looking out for their best interests, but it's wild to go on these. People are making tons of money. Like they are absolutely making tons of money, but there's also other people that like literally don't care. They're like, I don't care if I lose everything I put in. I'm here to wreck their shit and I'm going to buy these stocks and hold it. Because the whole thing is like, 
again, the reason that holding stocks is supposed to work is if when 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 140% of the stock on the market is shorted and people are buying up all the stock and holding it, well, this company's only got a, a set period of time. They have to actually buy stock and deliver it. And that's going to, the more stock that's locked up and people refuse to sell it, and they've got a much smaller, they're already so overextended that it's going to be incredibly expensive and painful for them to do that. So they've got, you know, the more you hold it up, the less powder they have to get themselves out of the hole. And, and you know, that is not the financially the smartest thing to do. But people are like, fuck these guys, we're going to do it anyway. I don't care if I blow up everything I have in my account. That you can't really model that, because there's sort of an assumption with models that people are like semi-rational, or at least semi-like in the concept of looking for you know their financial best interest. But there's a significant fraction of people out there that are just, it's spite and rage and, and anger, and you cannot fully model that. And that's really what's led the motivation, because they started, once they started shutting down all the trading houses here, People started buying from around the, around the world. It's just this insane unity of like, you know, we want to stick it to the the 0.1% of the world. It's like so many people had a chance to really stick it to them. So I think the reason that I'm talking about this on a podcast that's more about, you know, the Contextual Insurgent podcast, it's about activism and this new era of conflict this is not a financial podcast i think it's really illustrates some of the ways that people are learning to expand the battle space it's like people found a place or found a way to attack the system that doesn't involve guns or bombs or even like me like you know in 2016 it was an information war and still is an information war but it's so much about memes culture jamming and now people have figured out ways to actually you know throw rocks in the financial system to actually cause damage in specifically targeted areas and make money while doing it and the thing about this too is it's a decentralized system attacking a centralized system we've had so much of the stuff is centralized very narrow handful of companies and businesses running this sort of stuff and they're all insanely leveraged they're leveraged so high and they're all interconnected so there's ripple systems there's ripples throughout the systems when something goes wrong so what we're seeing with that is like a very anti-fragile system decentralized system that you can't direct attackly uh, direct directly attack attacking a very centralized, fragile system that is extremely unbalanced. And part of this too is, you know, we've seen the whole, you know, social, was it social, you know, if you're socialism for the rich or whatever and capitalism for the poor, it's like the concept of if you're too big to fail, you know, you get bailed out. The problem with that is we see this, you know, the whole idea of a moral hazard. If you get bailed out and bailed out every time you blow up your company, like the whole goal for these people becomes you know let's get really big so they can't let us fail then we can take a bunch of really risky positions and that actually starts to compound because people you know they start adjusting if, the, if you think you're going to get bailed out 
for something, then you can be much, you can start taking risk, bigger risks than you normally would if you knew there was no one coming to save you. And, and that's something that has built throughout our society. We saw that. Like we can't even, like we, our, our COVID response was horrifically bad on so many levels and so many other Western countries are the same way. It was the whole, the concept of a hollow state, like it cannot even fulfill basic functions anymore. We haven't built a successful warship. We haven't designed and built a new build warship in 20 years. Um, we cannot put people in space anymore. We have a, a, a shitposting billionaire, not Trump. We have Musk, thank God, or we still have a shitposting billionaire. He's the only one who's got like the, the most reliable, successful space program right now. Um, another thing you see here with this is... It would be easy to write these the hedge funds, you know, it's like, oh, these people are stupid. Well, no, they're not stupid. They actually are smart. It, it's easy to write people off when they do really dumb things as being stupid. But this is something that people really need to come to terms with is and understand better on, on both sides. Very, There are very, very smart people out there. And a lot of these people that are doing this with hedge funds, they still are extremely intelligent people. But intelligence is usually something that is only applies in a much narrower, narrower area than most people expect. Like there's tons of insanely smart people that can barely tie their shoes. And that's kind of what you see with these guys. It's like they work all the math, they work all the math, but they live in that bubble. And they're like, they don't really understand the rage that's building. Like they, they sort of like maybe intellectually understand it, but it's not real. And it's like... It's kind of like at the Capitol, what happened on January 6th. This, this people treated, you know, Americans with contempt, and it never dawned on them that, holy shit, these people really hate us enough to, like, storm the fucking Capitol. It never came to their mind. And there's that blindness there. It's like, you know, people never saw Trump coming. And when Trump got elected, you know, they, they, they couldn't... They, they built a model that said Trump's not going to get elected. It's not going to happen. And they completely ignored it, and they got blindsided. And they still, you know, they they managed to pull it off the second time, but it was a lot narrower than they thought. And some, like, I keep bringing this up, so, like, there was polls that were 30 points off, and their models are still kind of fucked. I think the general election was, like, six points or something, where the models were trying. It was pretty crazy. It's a pretty crazy spread. Of course, another big thing here is... These folks, not only is their intelligence in a much narrower area than they're willing to admit, they have a big tendency to overestimate people that they look down on, especially if the person is clownish or, you know, even harps up acting like they're stupid at all. I mean, Trump's another great example. It's like they just wrote him off completely and then they got blindsided. It was, you know, he was very good for a long time at work in the media and it took so much to finally take him down. And you see this, like, if you go to the Wall Street bets, like, sub, sub forum, the subreddit, it's just filled with shit posting, and it's hilarious, and, like, people, but there's extremely intelligent people there, and they're clowning like they're really, really dumb, and there's great memes there, so by harping up, the, you know, the thing that's trying to pretend to be stupid and trying to exaggerate some of those characteristics, these people really want to believe that. Like they really, really want to believe the people that they're dealing with or opposing are stupid. And if you can present that front to them at all, they'll 
they'll buy it when they have absolutely no reason to really stick by it and plenty of plenty of motive plenty of motivated reasons to not believe that you're dumb like they want to buy it and they'll they'll do it what really is happening is something that would you it could be called like a swarm attack like there's the the rand piece on swarm warfare um, i've linked that in some of my previous pieces but it's it's about swarm swarm warfare basically describing the things that are happening it's a bunch of autonomous units that kind of have the same game plan that are decentralized and are working independently but they're all working towards the same goal and that's sort of what you saw it's like people were kind of coordinating between the discord and the wall street bet sub forum and they end up getting enough pressure on the discord to get the discord server banned so i mean that's a big push too is like that's a big reason for decentralizing information is stuff like that you know they had multiple routes of communication between that and twitter so the discord really didn't do that much damage and they've been they've been managing their subreddit fairly well that is a weak point but it's going to be hard to deplatform them now because the popularity of that sub forum right now they're they're definitely the narrative is that they are the good guys overwhelmingly around the world and that's going to be hard to really kind of counter it at this point there's so much momentum in their favor there's several different lessons from what we've seen this week and that i think you should take note of again you know we are dealing with a massive legitimacy crisis our legitimacy and credibility it's like our institutions have discredited themselves both in terms of their honesty as well as their competence and trustworthiness that's really pushing the trend towards decentralized distributed communications and financial infrastructure those things are very complicated but to do and it's not going to happen overnight but there is a growing desire for that and that sort of reinforces we see more and more aggressive actions from governments around the globe which it, it becomes a spiral because those sorts of like i've explained before the more aggressive governments get it's sort of displaying weakness like it's a thing of the per the when a, when a, a person or a government gets super aggressive they're showing insecurity and like it's very hard to look at our government and not see instability and insecurity like they're going to be permanently walling off the capital now and stationing troops there those are not things that you know high trust stable states do again and that feeds back into so much of the reason a big chunk of the reason that we have people trust us with information and financial infrastructure is the idea of America is a stable, powerful, trustworthy place. And as that degrades, that's only going to feed into that decentralized, distributed trend. Part of doing that, too, is we're going to start seeing more emergent behavior. Emergent is like like flocking behavior. Emergent, em, emergent behavior is you give these little distributed independent agents like a very simple instruction set. And, you know, they can form very complex behavior like that's how bird flocks happen there's not like a big pattern in their head 
like they have a very simple rule like okay like if there's a bird to my left I stay this far away from him if there's a bird to my right I'm, I'm, I'm located this way and like a school of fish or bird or flock of birds in flight will form into these complex shapes because they're following very simple rule sets this thing's still going on so we'll have to see how it all shakes out maybe there's some more crazy regulatory policies that get trotted out last second changing the rules there you know calvin ball is a staple sport for so many of these influential people in like elite networks so we'll see what happens with that over the next week or so because they have a few they have a, a grace period to produce the shares that they've borrowed and it's going to be most of next week is going to be with that filled with with that i think to really boil it down we're seeing a lot of the trends that i've mentioned before still continuing the first off we're seeing an expanded battle space people are looking at different spheres of conflict to start fighting the system in and they found you know here is a way to potentially do that we're also seeing the that transition from the sixth to seventh party system some of the manifestations of that the you know there's there's i talk about that in a sense of like because that's that's an american concept but the reality is that's something that's also kind of involving the world it, itself as well you've got people that are jumping in to buy stocks and like yeah hell yeah we're coming you know because some of these foreign trading trading houses are not they don't have the structural limitations and they're not shutting down trades so people are jumping in and buying stocks from overseas um, people are jumping in in the after hours when trading is closed in america to try to fight the people that are shorting the stock they're fighting to come buy stock and keep the stock prices up so you've got groups of people from around the world kind of unifying and they're working in a decentralized network and you've seen so much pressure towards decentralization in this because we've got people talking about we need a way to trade that's not running through these clearing houses that can shut us down all these brokers there's different ways to you know there's that's going to be a long-term overhaul thing but people are looking at more and more like blockchain stuff for communications because the discord server got banned um, financial stuff because they don't want to have to worry about you know a handful of market makers screwing people over we're also seeing the limits of centralization and the unhealthy worship of credentialism that leads people to believe that you know they have broadly broad domain of um, intelligence and expertise when in fact it's their expertise and knowledge is in an extremely narrow area this crisis of legitimacy really comes from two things it's like the people that are supposed to be running things are turning out to not be trustworthy and they're also turning out to be people that no matter how many letters they have by their name and how many credentials they have they honestly don't know that what the hell they're doing with the big picture there's not much that i or you can probably individually do about that what we can do is we can keep building those local networks and start influencing things locally again like i've talked about this before so much of the work that happened in the civil rights movement in the 60s was due to work that was done in the 50s building these local organizations and groups of people that provided a basis to start networking and building regional and national power and that's where we are now and thankfully because of the information age so much of this is moving faster so that's going to be it i'm going to cut this off this ran off a lot longer than i thought i kind of ramble on a bit 
Hope you still found it insightful, and thank you for joining. This is Aaron at the Contextual Insurgent Project. Mm -hmm.